Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and hi-ho, it's time for a podcast. Let's talk about Christmas movies. <laughs> That's not bad, actually. Yeah, you know, you go all in on these things, Josh, one you way do. or the other. So. You do. So it is and Christmas. Yes. Kermit was in both of the ones we're talking about. So I had to go with that character. You know? Kermit so. is key. Yes. Mm -hmm. So and uh, it is Christmas time. Some days before Christmas, I think. I forget what day this is coming out, but Christmas is imminent. Yeah. And so as we've done every year, most years, we are... Uh, every year. I every think, year. Right? Jason, Jason is a big proponent of holiday celebrations. And we have done that here at Awesome Movie Year. And we're doing it again. We are celebrating the holidays with, in this episode, actually two holiday movies from a couple of years that we have talked about in past seasons, both 1977 and 1992. And Kermit the Frog is involved in both. That's why we're kind of combining these. They are a couple of Muppet-related holiday films. First from 1977 is Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. And from 1992, The Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, both from Jim Henson Productions. Jim Henson was the director of Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. He passed away in 1990, and his son Brian directed The Muppet Christmas Carol. But the overall Muppet team is involved in both films. Jerry Jewell, who was a go-to writer for all Muppet projects for Decades is the screenwriter on both of these, and um, Kermit and other familiar Muppets and some unfamiliar Muppets show up here in both films. Yeah, Kermit. They said, "Do you want to do the movies?" And uh, you know, he's he's agreeable. He's Kermit. He's always down for a project. So once he's on, you know, the rest of the Muppets kind of line up behind him. You know, except in that last Muppet movie, Muppets Most Wanted, which infuriated me because the entire premise is. Even though they've been friends for 40 years, none of them can recognize that there's an imitator of Kermit. It was just so dumb. I wanted to kick it right in the balls, Josh. Jason has very strong opinions about the Muppets. and uh, <laughs> I love the Muppets, Josh, as you know. I so. do. I do know that. And this is uh, many people love the Muppets, but um, I am not one of them. So this oh, is... Ebenezer Scrooge is already here. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. I'm I I don't hate the Muppets. I'm I'm kind of indifferent to the Muppets. Sometimes they're kind of fun. I weirdly I kind of like that Muppets Most Wanted that you obviously hate, and the other better recent Muppet movie that Jason Siegel kind of got going. It, it, they're fun. Some of that I like Muppets. that one. That's the Muppets. That one's right. good, and I thought they were really up to a great like reset with that and then this new thing that um they did the muppets uh which is like their updated muppet show on disney plus that six episode thing that was really good after the failed horrible relaunch of it on abc that was terrible you know so like uh as with these two films i believe one is hit and one is missed josh mm. yeah mm. and i'm i'm kind of neutral on both of these films so we'll, we'll get your stronger reactions but both of these are beloved holiday classics really i mean that's why we're talking about them here although muppet christmas carol at least was not a huge hit initially but i think both of these thanks to frequent airings on television 
and rentals on VHS, as we've talked about a lot, especially with our seasons from the 1990s, that is a key element to the building of a following for a lot of these films. They've become these institutions of the holiday season. Uh, and Emmett, Emmett Otter from 77, you know, got a lot of play on HBO starting in 78. And then it kind of moved over from there into other networks. So that really uh, in the 90s, Nickelodeon and ABC, uh, it was made for Canadian Broadcast Company in 77. So that really took on a life via uh, parents telling their kids to sit in front of the television and leave them alone for an hour. <laughs> yes. And mm-hmm. Emmett Otter is a made for TV movie that premiered in 1977 on the Canadian Broadcasting Company. It is based on a book that is a non-Muppet related book from 1971, written by Russell Hoban and illustrated by his wife, Lillian Hoban. The Muppet Christmas Carol, also based on a book that people may have heard of called A Christmas Carol by Charles Mm. Dickens. (laughs) Interesting, interesting interesting footnote on that one. (laughs) Yeah, Um, didn't realize that. (laughs) So I don't have any any data on like TV ratings for Emmett Otter, especially not from Canada. But as you say, Jason, it was rebroadcast many, many times. It made it to the U.S. in 78 on HBO, which was a kind of a niche thing in 1978, I think. I I assumed like, oh, there will be reviews of it from 1978 in U.S. publications, but there were not, I assume, because nobody had HBO or very few people had HBO in 1978. Yeah, I mean, but this is one of those things that, right, like, Obviously, it did well enough that they broadcast it 7,000 times that it was etched into our minds at some point, right? So, yes, yes. Um, yeah, so I, I'm gl- I, and it's interesting, obviously, A Christmas Carol is the one you take on from Dickens because um, I feel like a Muppets, if they did a tale of two cities and at the end they had to uh, give the guillotine to one of their characters, it wouldn't have come off too well. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. The, the Muppet <laughs> Great Expectations, something like yeah. that. So I would love to hear Animal just uh, use the words of Charles Darnay in A Tale of Two Cities. <laughs> There's a far, far thing I do than I ever done before. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So the Mupp- a Muppet Christmas Carol was not a huge hit at the box office, but it did OK. It grossed $27.2 million on its budget of $12 million, But I think there were higher expectations. It was the first Muppet movie released by Disney, although Disney did not yet own the Muppets. That didn't happen until 2004, but it was the beginning of this partnership between Jim Henson Productions and Walt Disney. It was the first Muppet movie made after the death of Jim Henson. So I think it opened at like sixth place in the box office or something like that. If I'm not mistaken, Aladdin and Home Alone 2 were its competition. Not just movies in the theater, but literal direct competition, right? For right. The audience, so. Yeah, something that that families would be taking their kids to. So, um, but again, it's it's become beloved. Both of them have. Emmett Otter was nominated for four Emmys in 1981. By the time it made it to U.S. television, and those are the I believe it's probably daytime Emmys for children's programming. It was nominated for outstanding children's program and for costume design, and for lighting, and for the original song, Where the River Meets the Sea, written by Paul Williams. And Paul Williams also got a nomination for The Muppet Christmas Carol. It was nominated for a Grammy for Best Musical Album for Children. Paul Williams, who we talked about in the Smokey and the Bandit episode, where he plays, you know, the kid of the... uh 
moonshiner there who uh, tells Smokey to go. But Paul Williams is kind of you. I'm not going to say ubiquitous, but he's had so much um, work with the Muppets via the Muppet Show, and he had an Academy Award nomination for co-writing the Rainbow Connection. So he was a big, big star. I know. I think I talked about it. There's that documentary on him. It's interesting because like he was like a big singer, and then he's like, I'm just going to keep being famous so like he would do like battle of the network stars or like celebrity circus he just found a way to always stay in the spotlight and uh his collaborations with the muppets helped yes and that is a long time collaboration i mean the, the the songs in both of these which were released you know 15 years apart both of them have songs by paul williams so he's just got this long association with the muppets and uh the music is- <laughs> That's it. That's all you got. That's all, like I think the music uh, is is some of the weakest elements of both of these. Oh, I love I love that man. Yeah, you know what? Because you're in a way you're. Uh, first of all, I 100 percent agree with you on Muppet Christmas Carol. There, uh-huh. like the songs are just not up to snuff. If you think of like Rainbow Connection or like when you go back to like Muppets Take Manhattan and stuff like that. There's all this catchy music. Like their musicals are great, right? And uh, I kind of like the music better in Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, but I do think uh, there were maybe two good songs in Muppet Christmas Carol, The Last Sleep Before Christmas, and It Feels Like Christmas. But I even think It Feels Like Christmas with that ghost of Christmas present, like did not do that song, uh, did not give it the gusto that it could have had. So, yeah, and I can barely even remember these songs and i watched this movie yesterday i'm giving you a lump of cold on this podcast thank you (laughs) um so reviews for these both were relatively positive um so starting with emmett otter because it aired first in canada i did go to canada for this so uh Mm. not not literally of course but figuratively Please, please use eh accordingly yes uh they do they do spell some things differently so maybe that'll come across when i read this um so bill musclewhite in the calgary herald said oh yeah here and there through the mists <laughs> of aerosol snow are bright gems and you can always count on jim henson and his muppets for a multifaceted program cut and polished into coruscating color the story was well written and in the true spirit of christmas and the music by Paul Williams was delightful. The direction and camera technique are so good, you have a hard time realizing that those aren't real animals in some Ozark river bottom. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas may have been slightly advanced for the smaller children, but for everyone else, it was a total delight. I watched it with Scarlett, my daughter, and, uh, you know, we we both really got into how weird it is. It's a very weird thing, right? You know, and I like that about it. But also, like, these are, like, so cool. The art direction and production design. Even, Josh, if you weren't into the story, like, the sets that they made are so intricate and, like, amazing. And they, you, they're they able to show the Muppets in, like, full body. Like, I noticed in, um, you know, Muppet Christmas Carol, there's an ice skating sequence. And, and they just show them from the waist up. And I'm like, man... You know, I remember Jim Henson like was so proud when like he was able to show Kermit and Miss Piggy riding the bicycles. And, um, you know, I think it was Muppet movie, but if not, it was Muppets Take Manhattan or whatever. But like so I felt like that was a cheat. Whereas on this one, you got uh, Emmett Otter. You did see those full bodies. And like at one point, like uh, the night, the river, the nightmare, the bad guy band. Right. You know, they're all riding snowmobiles. And I'm like, dude, they have Muppets riding snowmobiles. And it looks like real and i'm like this they 
they nailed this thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And I think I wasn't really engaged with the story or the characters or the music in this, but the craftsmanship of it is just amazing still to look at that. And of course, something like this now would not be done this way. It'd be all CGI or whatever. Yeah. Even movies that are made with puppets or with stop motion are always enhanced with CGI. And so I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say like, oh, I, I was fooled. And I thought those could have been real animals, but. <laughs> well, but, yeah, me neither, Josh. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Right. No, no, no. I'm not saying, but that was what this critic is saying. But it, it is amazing. Just the way that it's put together and the amount of detail that's in it and the, the effort and the creativity that must have gone into immersing you in this world. And it really is just like an immersive world. You know, the Muppets themselves are often hanging out in sort of real world type environments, especially in their movies. But this is its own like fantasy realm, almost like the Dark Crystal or something to, to talk about another Jim Henson production. And uh, that was really impressive to me, even though I found the rest of it to be sort of a snooze. Yeah, you've you mentioned a few times you're not a fan of the story. Next review. Let's go. Buddy. All right. Someone else who was not a fan of this at all is Tom Shales in The Washington Post, who reviewed it in 1980 when it premiered on ABC. He said, although admirable and attractive as a piece of craftsmanship, the program suffers from a prosaic sense of illusion and a woebegone scenario, and it has all the warmth of a commercial for the smokeless ashtray. Children may find the fuzzy creatures cute, but they are basically inexpressive, and the actors' voices they are given never quite belong. Insipid songs by Paul Williams don't help either. Anthropomorphism may not be the crime against nature that the anti-whimsical forces like to claim, but Jim Henson and writer Jerry Jewell have taken it one step downward by making the animals insufferably cash-conscious and materialistic. Well, that's the point, isn't it? Right? Like, I mean, first of all, I haven't read the book, but I mean, I bet that's uh, part of the element in there. But the point is that they're struggling to get by and then they still do the things that they know are going to hurt their incomes to uh, do something nice, Emmett for his mom and his mom for Emmett, right? So what does he want there? Does he want them to not care about being able to eat? Yeah, I, I don't know. And he spends much of this review later really harping on this point about how these characters are materialistic and that is a, a an ongoing theme of the Jim Henson productions here. Um, by this point, the Muppet movie had been released, which I think it had not when the, this first premiered on the CBC. And right. he he sort of connects those two, saying that Henson is is obsessed with this idea of money and stardom because, of course, here Emmett and his mother also one of the ways they or the main way they try to get money is by entering this talent contest, and they're both musically inclined and they want to win to get money for each other. I mean, literally, the Muppet Show is a show about Muppets putting on a show. So what right. does this guy like? Does he not get the Muppets at all? Is that it or what? I, you know, seemingly maybe not. I'm not sure his overall opinion of of the Muppet show. He definitely seems to have not maybe cared for the Muppet movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, and furthermore, Emmett Otter here, it, it's it's really about like doing something for the other character. Yeah, and 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 about poverty and struggling and things like that. I mean, serious themes that are not. There's not just about like oh, I want to be famous or something like that. I mean, I suppose you could argue that the Muppets, the main Muppets are interested in that kind of stuff. 
But these characters are just trying to scrape by. It's actually quite stark, really, for something aimed at children. Right. And and as I said, like, it's like, oh, well, if I do this, it's going to ruin my coat or it's going to ruin Ma's, you know, uh, you know, her jug, whatever. Right. But they do it to try to win something for the other character. It's not like I'm doing this and I know I'm ruining something that belongs to someone else, but it's worth it because I'm going to win the money and then I can do whatever I want with it. They're trying to buy something for the other person, the other, you know, otter here, not person, Josh, because I also know they're not real. Right. Well, you could say person. I mean, they're they're imbued with human qualities. But but yeah, you're right. I feel like that as much as I was not a huge fan of this, I feel like that is sort of a strange complaint that he brings up. And and it is his primary complaint about this, it seems like. So next, the Muppet Christmas Carol uh, got seemingly mixed to positive reviews. Uh, Siskel and Ebert gave it uh, a, they split on it, although they mostly seem to agree that they were both kind of in the middle. But Ebert gave it the marginal thumbs up while Siskel gave it the marginal thumbs down. And both of them seem to think that the main strength of this film was Michael Caine's performance as Ebenezer Scrooge. And they were less enthused about the other elements. But Ebert liked the other elements enough to kind of give this a positive. So they were split on that. And in his written review, Roger Ebert said, Michael Caine is the latest of many human actors, including the great Orson Welles, to fight for screen space with the Muppets. And he sensibly avoids any attempt to go for a laugh. He plays the role straight and treats the Muppets as if they are real. It is not an easy assignment. The movie, directed by Brian Henson, son of the late Muppet creator Jim Henson, follows the original fairly faithfully. Like the earlier three Muppet movies, it manages to incorporate the Muppets convincingly into the action. We may know they're puppets, but usually we're not much reminded of their limited fields of movement. It could have done with a few more songs than it has, and the merrymaking at the end might have been carried on a little longer, just to offset the gloom of most of Scrooge's tour through his lifetime spent spreading misery. So, Josh, let me uh, take two points there. Michael Caine is quoted as saying, I'm going to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I will never wink. I will never do anything Muppety. I'm going to play Scrooge as if it's an utterly dramatic role and there are no puppets around me. So that's a good piece of motivation for his performance. There. Yeah. And I think I agree with Ebert that that that's absolutely the right approach. And he is the the best. He's so good in this movie that my thought on this as someone who's not super into the Muppets was like, I would have been happy with this movie if the Muppets had been removed. Uh, sadly, Josh, I don't, I don't think the Muppets were utilized nearly as effectively in this movie as of course, as in many of their other movies, I just, the whole thing misses for me on this one. Uh, all the Muppets, um, that whole idea of joy and merriment, like it's nowhere in the movie, you know, even at Uh, the end, you don't think, yeah, it is for like three minutes, but you know, that's okay. Right. I mean, that's the Uh, Scrooge story as Eber points out, it's gloom and doom. And then the, the. Redemption at the end. Right. So maybe it's not the right project. It's it's a very strange because Jerry Jewell, who you mentioned, is such a good writer. He wrote most of the Muppet shows and like really captures them. I feel like the characters are all missing here. Like, you know, uh, and what we see of them isn't what we're used to seeing of them. Like Miss Piggy has one scene where she hiyahs, but otherwise she's just like nice Miss Piggy, subdued Miss Piggy none of the Miss Piggy that we know at all. Like it just felt like they were retrofitting them in there 
as opposed to giving them the showcases for the characters that they are. Right. Well, I think you're right. And I think that is all on purpose, is that the idea here is to make a Christmas carol and put the Muppets. I think it's it's sort of telling in a way that the opening credits have it as if the Muppets are, quote, actors, you know, and it says Kermit the Frog as Bob Cratchit, Miss Piggy as as it's as if these these characters that we know as as showbiz people, as you were just describing before, have now decided to act in a production of A Christmas Carol. Okay, but I don't think anyone's like, oh, I'd really like to see Miss Piggy take on the role of Scarlett O'Hara. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I disagree. You want to see, I bet you there want are a Ms. lot of people yeah. who would think that. Yeah. Well, Josh, you know, I know you haven't <laughs> seen Kramer versus Kramer. Maybe we could get Miss Piggy and Kermit to play those parts. Yes. <laughs> but I just think like, when you go to see the Muppets, and especially this is for kids, right? You want to see the Muppets be the Muppets. So, like, even if he's playing Bob Cratchit, you still want Kermit to be uh, fun Kermit or whatever, you know, or like over, uh, you know, like even here, like he's kind of overworked, but he's like, look, can you just give us Christmas off? Like, as opposed to like when he's uh, got too much going on in the Muppet show and his like, He's frazzled and everything like that. It's more fun. You know, I didn't think there was any fun in this one. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is a movie that, like I said, has become this timeless classic. And if people love the Muppets, a lot of people who love the Muppets do love this movie. And I, I never had that thought that you did, I guess, maybe because I wasn't as attached to the idea of the Muppets being a certain way. But, you know, again, to me, I was just engaged if i was engaged it was because this is a good telling of the dickens story and the muppets are sort of like the icing on the top or whatever yeah well um i just i just didn't have any fun with it i i you know i liked the first 10 15 minutes before the ghost came and then the last 5 10 minutes after um but i just thought the middle just misses completely for me yeah well, Janet Maslin in the New York Times was also kind of underwhelmed, but mildly positive. She said, The Muppet Christmas Carol is not one of those clever children's films that keep adult escorts from gazing longingly at the exit signs. What you expect, Muppets, is pretty much what you get. There's no great show of wit or tunefulness here, and the ingenious cross-generational touches are fairly rare. But there is a lively kiddie version of the Dickens tale one that very young viewers ought to understand. Much of the music is also on the saccharine side, but little children should like that reasonably well, just as they enjoy crowd scenes featuring Muppet vegetables and other talking toys. The screenplay by Jerry Jewell is less inventive, but then it must cope with the challenge of retelling Dickens in terms that will register with young children. In this regard, the film does work well, bringing home the story's impact and reinforcing its central message. I think they're not giving enough credit to children. Yeah. You know, children can follow these stories. It's really easy. Right. So I would have liked to have seen a little more innovation on this. Right. Well, and you watch this, Jason, you mentioned you would, you would watch this with your daughter some number of years ago. And then again with her this time, correct? So we watched it uh, together and neither of us had seen it the first time when right. I had seen it. Um, and uh, we were both, very much disliked it and we've watched every muppet movie together you know at that point in time we were literally going from muppet movie all the way up through muppets most wanted right um so yeah we were very underwhelmed this time i watched it on my own and i okay. started to get into it a little more and then it just you know just goes right off that cliff so fast for me and when you watched it with your daughter and 
she didn't have trouble following the Dickens story or anything like that, I would think. No, I don't think, I mean, like, why is he making it sound, or she's making it sound like it's this really complex thing. It's bad guy gets visited by three ghosts, changes his ways, so he's not a, a jerk anymore, right? Right. Like, it's not any more complex than, like, you know, the great Muppet caper, where they have to figure out who the jewel thief is or something like that. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, even in 1992, this is a story that's been told so many times in so many formats that there's a good chance kids will be familiar with it because they've seen it with some other cartoon character right. or something like that. Yeah, like, I, didn't we all see it with Mickey Mouse at some point in time? And that version had come out in the 80s, so it certainly was it existed. In fact, when Siskel and Ebert talk about this, they mention the Mickey Mouse version. So, yeah, I, I think that you're right. Maybe she's not giving kids enough credit or she's she's overstating the need for this to be simplified in order to reach children. Right. And I, and I think they should have gone the opposite way because that was the beauty of the Muppets. Like they weren't afraid to challenge their audiences, you know, and I'm not saying like in uh in any type of like they they would play the joke if it's funny. And if it was like an intellectual joke, then, you know, some kids, maybe it goes over their head or maybe they reach to it. Right. And, you know, they obviously were not afraid to challenge themselves with like set building and like seeing how can we make the Muppets do things like Miss Piggy's got that great. A water ballet number in one of the movies. I think that might be Muppet Caper also, right? So, you know, they're not afraid to take these chances. And I felt like this one played it very, very safe. Yeah. Um, so you watched this with your daughter a few years ago. Had you seen it? And had you seen Emmett Otter like as a kid? Did there these things that you grew up with? No, I mean, I grew up with the Muppets and the Muppet movies so much so that when I was uh, a, a young fella, Josh, just a boy, when I was just a boy, Josh, and, you know, um, my brother and I, when we would, uh, go up to bed, I would always pretend to go to sleep. And then once he fell asleep, I was allowed to come back downstairs and I would sit on my grandpa's lap and we'd watch the Muppet show together. So wow. that was a, that's a great memory. And Scarlett and I have gone through many of the Muppet canon together, much of the Muppet canon. We've watched all the movies. Uh, we've watched a couple of seasons of the Muppet show, which is now available. And, um, it's really fun. I went to the Jim Henson exhibit at the Skirball in uh, LA a few years ago. Like I love the Muppets, man. Yeah. You know? So um, I want to see them at their best because that's what I love about them. Uh, Emmett Otter. I don't know when it came into my life. I don't think as a kid, I think it was just one of those weird things that you would hear about. And then you're like, what is this? It might've even been a few years ago. I heard about it on the internet and we watched it. And then I was like, this is cool. And then I hadn't revisited it until this. Muppet Christmas Carol, I had avoided because I I knew my brother didn't like it. And then I when I went through the whole canon, I watched all those ones in the 90s, which is the weakest period for the Muppets. This and Muppet Treasure Island. And then, you know, I think Muppets in Space may be a little better. But um, but what about yeah. Muppet Great Expectations? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, where uh, we have to get um, uh, who's going to play Mrs. Havisham on that one? Well, That's what we have to figure out. Miss Piggy has to play Miss Havisham, right? Well, you would think so, but they just underutilized her in this. I don't know if I want to see, you know, I want to see her get the gusto on the next yeah, one. Yeah, but that so. seems like a better part because she can kind of swoon around and be all dramatic. And I mean, I guess she could play the main love interest, right? Yeah. You get yeah. her and and Kermit as Pip. And and she is she the, I forget the name of the character, but that the female lead in that she is very kind of hot and cold with Pip. Right. That's sort of the point. So uh, this is really that, unnecessary. That but. sounds like Miss Piggy, though. Yeah, like, you know, it might she, work. She, 
So maybe Fozzie and Drag is going to play Miss Havisham or something like that. Yeah. Well, here he's, you know, running a rubber chicken factory in Old England. So. He is. Yeah. They needed a lot of rubber chickens in Victorian England. <laughs> That's right. Um, Forget vaccinations and uh, right. rubber you know, chickens. clean water. Yeah. R- rubber chickens was the, where it was. Yeah. How about you, Josh? Your history with these? I know your sister loves Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's stabbing gonna, her in the heart as she's we gonna, speak. She's going to hate both of us because not only does she love it, but I'm pretty sure is one of her favorite movies of all time, not just Christmas movies or Muppet movies, but movies, period. And weirdly, despite her love for it, I never saw it as a kid. I mean, this came out when we were we were slightly older kids in 1992, but still, I never watched it then. And I had not watched it until a few years ago when I was doing a bunch of write-ups on Christmas movies and watched it. And I thought it was okay. And I kind of feel about the same way about it now. I'm with Siskel and Ebert that Michael Caine is the best thing in it. And I had never seen Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. I had heard of it like you as it, it, kind of a interesting outlier in the, the Jim Henson canon. But not to harp on this, but I've never been a particular fan of the Muppets. I am neutral on most of their stuff. I did watch, I think, maybe the Muppet movie or the Muppet caper or one of those early Muppet movies as a kid. Um, I don't really remember much about them. but uh, And the recent ones I've seen. The Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted, which again, I both thought were fine. Um, my reaction to the Muppets generally ranges from like, eh, not great to eh, that was fun. So um, that's, you know, and that's kind of where I, I fell on this one as well. So, well, I guess what's interesting here is that like I'm a Muppet fan. Right. And you're and you're Josh. <laughs> and uh, but we both came away. Like, obviously, I like Emmett Otter more than you, but we both came away feeling the same way. It sounds like on Muppet Christmas Carol. Well, I think I actually liked Muppet Christmas Carol more than you, in part because I wasn't really invested in the Muppetiness of it. And I... Right. There you go. So that's interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about so, you, Dave? I apparently loved the Muppets as a kid, apparently. but this is one of those things that I just so yeah, this is one of those things I don't really remember. My mom tells me I was obsessed with them, just like Remo Williams, as we uh, discovered. I feel like your previous... mom is gaslighting you, and she's just like got a list of she things could to yeah. pretend that you liked as like, a kid. Were you like in you. a child work camp, and now she's just like, oh, you used to watch Smurfs every day when really you were the one shoveling the coal or whatever? It's very possible, because I don't remember what Muppets things I liked or any of it, but I'm sure I saw it all back then, but... Yeah, I, I haven't watched any of it as an adult. So this was my first time watching anything Muppet related in wow. decades. Oh, Did you wow. watch it with Gina? Or? Uh, she was on her phone. She <laughs> looked up. But we, we liked, uh, you know, comparing some of them to our pets. So that was oh, about it. Yeah, yeah, that is good. Except yeah. none of the Muppets are dead. He's still living with you. <laughs> Jeez. Um, I will say that one, the, I think the one Muppet thing that I did like a lot as a kid is a thing that hardcore Muppet fans, I think, hate, which is the Muppet Babies. I was a big fan of that as like a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, I like mm. the Muppet Babies. I don't know why you would hate the Muppet Babies. They I don't know. I think like Muppet purists don't like it. Yeah, well, that's getting a little too deep, <laughs> too deep into the forest <laughs> for right. me to follow you into there. Fair but, enough. Yeah. Um, do you want to mention anything on the background of these films, Jason? Yeah, no, Josh, on Emmett Otter, uh, you know, inspired by the gift of the Magi. Did you know that by O. Henry? Yeah, that was the inspiration for the original book, which is a very famous story that uh, I have not read, but is cool. a similar concept about the the people who are both sacrificing something in order to get a Christmas or a holiday present for each other and uh, end up sacrificing 
everything. I think. And I, and as I said, like uh, even Jim Henson said, they really tested themselves like with the set building so they can pop into scenes and show these wide shots and Muppets doing things and sh- showcase the sets from, um, you know, really different angles. Uh, there were, and I'm no ex- expert here, so I'm just reading this out loud, uh, Josh. There were uh, multiple methods of puppetry used in Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Obviously, the Muppet hand puppets, but also marionettes and uh, Bunraku and black theater techniques. Sure. Yeah, you can see some of the wires occasionally in this where they're doing that, that yeah. kind of marionette technique, which I know is not, it's not a complaint. It's not a complaint. So we'll come back then and talk more of our general thoughts on these Muppet Christmas movies. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special Christmas episode, we are talking about a couple of Christmas movies from the Muppets. Emma Otter's Jug Band Christmas from 1977 and The Muppet Christmas Carol from 1992. And... Jason, as a as a hater of the Muppet Christmas Carol, um, what I wonder and, you know, what I keep saying is that I like Michael Caine here as Scrooge. I like the telling of the story, the Dickens story. Are you a fan of of a Christmas Carol? Do you enjoy other tellings of that story? I, I, I don't mind it one way or the other. Now we're reversing here, Josh. You're you're so Dickensian. <laughs> you go to all those reenactments dressed as your pauper, uh, you know, so no, I don't mind it. Um, but I don't I never cared for it one way or the other. Like I wasn't into it or I wasn't against it. Uh, I honestly wouldn't mind if Michael Caine like even pushed a little further into the assholeness of the character. But to me, like it's it's not a Christmas Carol featuring the Muppets. It's called the Muppets Christmas Carol. Right. So like I went in thinking, oh, awesome. It's going to be the Muppets, you know, doing stuff. But like I said, like Gonzo, who here is Charles Dickens. Right is basically used for exposition and nothing else, right? That That is, and I get, I, I had read they were saying like, well, who would be the least likely to pay Charles Dickens? And they chose Gonzo. Although I would argue Animal would probably be the least likely. But um, it's a waste of Gonzo, right? What Gonzo is, you know, he comes in, he's crazy. He's trying stunts. He's doing all this wild stuff. So to just see him, you know, Oh, and then this happened and then this happened. And then they give like the comedy to Rizzo, who's hit or miss, you know, like it just falls flat. Then you have Kermit playing Bob Cratchit, who's a nice guy, but there's really no personality to the Kermit character, right? Like that could have been anybody that could have been, you know, the the kid who played the nephew who also had no personality in this thing, right? Um, That's a human, by the way. Yeah, that's a human who's done well for himself as an actor. I just don't think any of the humans other than Michael Caine it all felt very vanilla. Am I wrong? Did, was there any human performance that stood out? No, you're not wrong about that. I think the human performances are all pretty forgettable. Um, but Michael Caine is really good. And and I agree. I would have been happy to see him dive more into the darkness of Scrooge, which is something that Roger Ebert complains about and doesn't think is appropriate here. But I have seen many versions of A Christmas Carol um, and not even necessarily because I love A Christmas Carol or because I love Charles Dickens, but because of various articles and reviews and whatever, it just pops up again and again and again and again. And I think it can be a really well-told story. It's so familiar that you watch mediocre versions of it and you kind of shrug. But if you see a good version of it, especially I, for me, especially one that takes Scrooge seriously as a person, as a character who actually 
has feelings and goes through a real journey as a character over the course of the film, it can be really affecting. I mean, there's the 1951 version with Alastair Sim as Scrooge is just a really good movie, despite telling this very familiar story that you might think you would be bored with. So, so I, th- I think you're making a good point, right? Like if that's the character and that's the level we all got to get to, and we've seen the Muppets get to that level in other movies against like Charles Grodin as a villain or, you know, kind of um, uh, uh, Charles Durning as a villain. Like these are also great actors who really lean in, right? Like what I'm saying is we don't get there with any of them. Like I don't think any of them showcase any of the characteristics that we've come to love about them. And also, um, and and that not only hurts the movie, but it hurts the overall character development on all of these characters against Scrooge. So what you're saying is that in other Muppet productions, you felt this sort of like genuine emotional response to the Muppets themselves doing things. Yeah, exactly. Like they want to get to Hollywood in the Muppet movie and Charles Durning, Doc Hopper is trying to get Kermit to you know, be his spokesman on the frog leg restaurant and then decides he's just going to kill him anyway. And like, you got all these great set pieces, uh, even, you know, Kermit and Fozzie uh, performing in like that Bayou bar. And, you know, it's like a honky tonk style thing. And like, you know, I think the interaction with the humans is so much more um, developed and full and the Muppets feel like real characters. And here I feel like they're just stuck in and they could have been they could have been any characters. They could have been, you could have said like, oh, well, uh, instead of using Bunsen and Honeydew for this charity thing, we're going to make Bunsen and Honeydew the couple, you know, of the Cratchits. And hey, maybe that's progressive and something we're experimenting with going forward. But like, I didn't feel like any of the Muppets had to be any of the characters that they were. Yeah. I mean, I guess, again, this goes to my indifference to the Muppets is that I can't imagine ever being emotionally affected by anything the Muppets have done. And don't think that I ever was, even when I've enjoyed one of their productions, it's just kind of cute and fun. And so I wouldn't have hoped for that. To me, all of the emotional weight is carried here by Michael Caine. And you're right that the other human actors maybe could do more because there's not much that they bring to it. But the Muppets are just sort of like flavoring. They're just sort of comic relief. Well, then you don't have a clear understanding of the Muppets because Josh, in every other Muppet movie, they carry the emotional weight of it. So I understand what you're saying. Michael Caine is the main star and has to be the uh, the vessel of most of the emotional weight. But you can't say like Bob Cratchit shouldn't mean anything to the story then. Well, no, but the story is, I mean, even in good versions of the story, Bob Cratchit isn't like this incredibly well-rounded character. All of the characters aside from Scrooge are sort of reflections of his journey as a person. Scrooge is the one, I think, in a good telling of A Christmas Carol, who has the dimensions. And everyone else is, I mean, you feel bad for Bob Cratchit because Tiny Tim is sick and because he's poor and he loves his family, but he's not this multifaceted person, really. And so what what they're giving you with the Muppets as these characters is what these characters are. Yeah, well, then maybe it's just the miss overall, because like I said, it didn't have any of the humor that I'm used to with Jerry Jewell. I liked... um... Statler and Waldorf is Marley and Marley, you know, the ghosts of uh, Scrooge's old bosses. But otherwise, I just felt the whole thing was a miss. The ghosts, which I had read, were originally developed to be Muppet characters. Um, and I think that would have been a way more interesting way to go with it. Ghost of Christmas Past was going to be Robin or Scooter. Miss Piggy would be the ghost of Christmas present. 
and then Gonzo or Animal, the ghost of uh, Christmas yet to come. I think that would have been far more interesting. I didn't think the ghosts added anything. They were boring. They couldn't sing. Uh, just the whole thing is is one big miss to me, Josh. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about the ghosts is that they are, I understand that why they wouldn't have wanted one of the Muppet characters as those ghosts. I mean, they are Muppets in the sense that they're puppet characters. They're not humans, but they're not existing Muppet characters because they want, for right or wrong, they seem to want you to take that stuff seriously. And so they don't want Muppet antics in it. Well, um, then why are the Muppets in the movie? Right. That does, that's what I'm saying doesn't make sense at that point in time, Josh. Yeah. Like, you know, look, this is not an example that you're going to love, but like Spirited, right? This yeah. year, right? Not saying it's a great movie, but like I remember all of the ghosts and they were all humorous and none of them stole from Ryan Reynolds, you know, in that movie. You know, like they were, he was, look, is Michael Caine not a good enough actor to hold his own against Miss Piggy? Of course he is, you know? Right, right. I don't want to get into the flaws of Spirited, but but I mean, I don't think you're wrong. And I, I'm thinking of, you know, Miss Piggy could have been something akin to, is it Carol Kane in Scrooged, who's one of the ghosts there who does a lot of wacky stuff? Yeah, and that's a, and you know, that, you, you got a lot of great characters in there. Right, and and you still get the story there, even though those ghosts are being wacky. So I, 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 I guess I'm agreeing with you that that could have been fine, but I don't really care that it's not there. I think what is there is also fine. Yeah. So. All right, well, let's move on to Emmett Otter, which I liked. I, lo- I really liked, how weird it is. I think the songs are very weird in this uh, competition. I love the idea that they're having a talent show and everyone is um, in town is going to be part of it. And uh, they all prepare these like strange, like, uh, you know, uh, Appalachian style, you know, songs or whatnot. And I thought really the sets were some of the best I've seen in like any type of puppet movie. Like they were so detailed like the houses look so cool and uh, not just the houses but the backgrounds with the snow-capped mountains or when they're riding on the river you know i just really got into that one i thought that was a real like a lot of the chances i felt weren't taken on muppet christmas carol they took big chances whether you liked them or not in emmett otter right and i wonder if because this is not labeled as a quote muppet movie and the only appearance we get from familiar muppet characters is kermit as this sort of narrator, he has a, an introduction and then he shows back up at the beginning. And actually, I guess he did narrate it like in voiceover in the original version, but because of copyright issues, because the Muppets are now owned by Disney, but this particular production is not owned by Disney, that they can't use as much Kermit in the versions that are available to watch now. But I mean, other than his whatever presence he has, there are no other familiar Muppet characters, but you're not expecting those characters to appear here, right? I'm not. I I do recognize a few of them from like the Muppet show. Sometimes they have musical numbers like of that, like kind of, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, like uh, hillbilly bands or whatnot, you know, and some of them are used here and there. But yeah, no, these are characters specific to Emmett Otter. And like characters are not the um, the highlight of this one. I agree with you on that. Like, you know, you get to know Emmett and Ma a little, but other than that, the Nightmare Band is really like kind of like this, uh, this I guess, like over the top take on like, we're the bad boys from the bad side of town, the Nightmare Band from Riverville or whatever it is, you know, so. But I did like uh, I thought there was enough sweetness there to carry the whole thing. And it made me laugh a bunch 
not necessarily because it was funny, but because it was so just weird. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on the intricacy of all of the design. And I think even more so than The Muppet Christmas Carol, which is a Disney-funded theatrical release, versus this, which was a Canadian broadcasting company TV special. And yet the amount of detail and artistry in the design of this film, I think, is greater even than in The Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, and that was what carried me because, again, I, I don't know. I didn't think it was that weird. It's like you said, it's kind of the story of the gift of the Magi, which maybe isn't as famous as a Christmas Carol, but is a familiar kind of holiday fable, I guess. And so it was mildly engaging to me story wise. As you say, the characters are kind of bland. The Nightmare Band is fun, but I don't know. I, I wasn't really crazy about the songs. So really just watching the way that this was put together, I feel like was was what carried me through the running time of this more than anything else. Yeah, and I think that's okay. I mean, that's fine. You know, it's like it's not going to hook you on everything. That's okay, Dave. What did uh, what did you think of these two film films, as we say in uh, Ireland? These films. Uh, I I'm with you actually, Jason, on this uh, this this Emmett Otter. I, it was super weird, and that's what I liked about it. I, I just thought the characters were just ridiculous. The songs. I mean, the the one that I wrote down, the bathing suit that Grandma Otter wore, is just. Right. Such a ridiculous, and that kicks the movie off, and you're just kind of like, "Oh, okay, I, I'm. This is just going to be nonsense, like for the next hour, you know." So yeah, I really like this one. Uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol, I thought was just fine. I, I agree. It's like you know, why are we making this a Muppet movie if it's not going to be wacky and fun and Muppety? You know, it's just you know, it's Michael Caine being a great actor surrounded by Muppets. It's it's like the meme that goes around every few months. You know, what movie would you want to see replace everybody except one actor, you know, with Muppets? It's it right. reminded me of that. It's like it's just the exact movie. Just the other people are Muppets. I mean, I feel like that's one reason, Jason, why I think even fans of the Muppets often would disagree with you about this, because they just want to see the Muppets do something, you know, and that that like. Miss Piggy as Scarlett O'Hara, to use your example, would be something that people would want to see. Yeah, I mean, if they let her play it as Miss Piggy, that's fine. But if she just had to just fit into a rigid interpretation and have no personality of Miss Piggy, then that's that's boring. Like I, I mentioned a few other Muppet projects that just stunk. You know, when they tried to reboot the Muppet show and try to make it cool and like edgy, it was a horrible interpretation. I, I, it made me dislike the characters. So when they rebooted it again, you know, with this six episode kind of like internet style show on uh, Disney Plus where, you know, Bunsen and Honeydew are doing experiments every week and there are weird things and everyone's got their own segment that makes sense. Gonzo's trying to do a stunt like it rang true to what I knew of the Muppets and not just what I knew, but like where we've seen them excel before. So like when I mentioned Muppets Most Wanted. That's what just it just like you've taken 40 years of a history that's been built and just ignored it for a silly plot point. Like, I can't get into that. And I think that's where I'm at is like, I want the Muppets to be the Muppets. All right. Well, I, I feel like Jason is the embodiment of that uh, classic Onion article. The uh, I appreciate the Muppets on a much deeper level than you. But no, I'm just saying, I mean, maybe then <laughs> you, is fine. But, yeah. you know, so no, sorry, that's... sorry, Josh. You know, no, no, I'm no. A, I'm, I'm glad that know. you have the passion for this and I would not ever criticize giving deep thought to any sort of a uh, piece of popular entertainment. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's more to it than just, um, 
sticking him in something for the sake of sticking him in something. Right. And it does seem like that was a trend that this was emblematic of. And that period, as you're saying, in the 90s with the Muppets Treasure Island and the Muppets from Space. And I think there was a there was a thing going around on the Internet. I should have looked this up like a, a month or two ago with it was a document from when Disney had bought the Muppets. And it was this list of all these potential Muppet projects that they were working on. And a lot of them were just like Muppets in X, you know? Right. And and that's why that reboot with Siegel and Stoller was such a big deal because and why it was such a big success, right? And Brett McKenzie, who did all the music, like that, why that worked, Josh, was because that was true to the spirit of the Muppets, right? It was, hey, we got to put on a show. Even at we saw like Kermit uh, hadn't been with the gang in so long and whatnot, like that was at least believable, right? You know, and I just uh, I just think like there had to be a reason that we got to the point where they needed a reboot. And it was because of all these failed attempts to just like, you know, brand them as part of Disney as opposed to like, uh, you know, like it's not like Jim Henson just threw them in everything. It's not like, you know, like the Doc Hopper thing. It's not like you then saw Agonzo and Camilla the chicken afterwards doing commercials for KFC, right? Like he was very careful with how he chose and built his world, right? Right. So, and maybe it's telling then that this is the first thing that that they did after he died. I, I think so. I think, you know, and it was dedicated to him and um, uh, another performer who had died, um, Richard Hunt. But I do think, yeah, the Brian Henson directed Muppet movies are are not good. Neither of them. All right. Well, uh, should we rate these uh, these two pieces here? Sure. Out of uh, five. Five Muppets? Yeah, there we go. Five, <laughs> I don't know. Five puppet Muppets. Five hands inside of felt. Sure. Five Muppets. Yeah. Uh, okay, I got three and a half for Emmett Otter. I got two and a half okay. for Muppet Christmas Carol. I'm going to go with three for each. Uh, you know, I'm saying the same thing, but my feeling about the Muppets is they're fine. So, Dave, I'll go three and a half. Emmett Otter, I'll go three for Muppet Christmas Carol. All right. So, uh, sorry, Brandy, my sister, that uh, yeah, we're not you giving don't... this uh, the enthusiasm that Chile. you would have. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come back and talk about the legacy of these Muppet Christmas movies. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special holiday episode, we are talking about the Muppet Christmas productions, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, and the Muppet Christmas Carol. And I feel like Jason especially has talked a lot here about the legacy of the Muppets as sort of characters and as a property who, again, Jim Henson, the creator, died in 1990. The Muppets themselves were sold to Disney in 2004. They continue to be a major property for Disney, although maybe, as you're sort of alluding to, Disney has not always known exactly what to do with them as characters, but there's there's something that is always going to come back up. So do you have an overall, Jason, what is your favorite Muppet project? I mean, it's the I mean, I love the Muppet show, but I'll, I mean, from a from a movie standpoint, that first Muppet movie, the Muppet movie is like a five star movie to me. And after that, you know, when you get to the great Muppet caper and Muppet takes Manhattan, I think those are four and four and a half star movies one way or the other. Those, those original three are just home runs. Um, And then when you get to the Siegel one, that's when it gets back on track. But I think the Siegel one was probably about 2011. In 2008, there was a Christmas special called the Muppets Christmas Letters to Santa. 
And that was really good. Like that was funny and utilized the characters correctly and uh, utilized the celebrities correctly. Cause that's also part of the fun is seeing how they interact with these different celebrities, whether they're playing themselves or characters, right? Like, so that, that, that's on Disney plus. Now I would also recommend that. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Um, I know you, we talked about it beforehand. I didn't have time to watch it. And, and again, I, if there's a new Muppet thing, I'm kind of whatever about it. Did you watch, wasn't there um, the Muppets haunted house or something where they, yeah, it was good. Yeah. They did a good job. I was a little, you know, pissed off as I mentioned about Muppets. Uh, most wanted of the songs, Britt McKenzie, he's perfect for this. Like, yeah. And supposedly they said in 2019, he was developing a big screen version of Evan Otter's Jug Band Christmas, which would be super fun. But I do like the songs in that one. And I thought, um, you know, the thing about that Muppet haunted house is like, they have really deep cut references from Muppet fans, like of Muppets you haven't seen since the Muppet show, maybe, and, and stuff like that. So I think they're doing better. And maybe that's where it lives now is like, on these like smaller specials on Disney plus they don't need to be big screen or anything. I, I like that six episode series they did. Like maybe that's where that universe lives and that's great. Right. I mean, and, and I guess I didn't see that Muppet. Was it Muppet haunted house or was it specifically the, actually like the haunted mansion from Disneyland? Because, well, I, I mean, I haven't watched it in a while. I remember Gonzo ends up in this uh, haunted mansion and he has to stay the night there. And maybe Rizzo's his sidekick because that's always seems to be the case. And then he would run into like all these ghosts or who were played by other characters. And but it was good. It was it was a fun it was a fun piece. I I think, you know, that's another thing they could do is like keep developing holiday material. And and I think people would be really be into that. Right. I mean, I guess I'm just wondering if if it's on track to do like what Disney is doing with The Simpsons, where they just insert the characters into whatever Disney thing they're trying to promote, whether it was the Haunted Mansion or something else. And, you know, we've got The Simpsons in all of these different things. Are we going to get, you know, the Muppet Star Wars or Muppets meet Marvel or something like that uh, going forward? Yeah. And I don't know. I, I mean, the thi- it is called Muppet uh, Haunted Mansion and it wasn't Rizzo, it was Pepe uh pepe the prawn who you know again cool whatever um but yeah they go um it's it's in a haunted mansion and if it is that haunted mansion like if it's based on the ride like at least they utilize the muppets in regard to that not as opposed to um like hey we're just sticking them in to like fit this in Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that's what they've done a lot with The Simpsons, although I haven't right. watched those, but uh, people seem to not care for them. And there's tons much. of uh, there's tons of like celebrity cameos in there and stuff like that. So, Josh, I know you said you're not a huge fan, but like, I feel like you should go back and at least watch the original Muppet movie, which I think is 79. And just like that's a home run all the way through the music, the story, the technical achievement. I think I mean look, that was such a big deal. Like that, if that didn't work, they weren't going to get other shots. And you see, it's led to like all these uh, other projects, including uh, the uh, often not mentioned Follow That Bird, the Big Bird movie from the 80s, which is also good. Yeah. And I will say, despite my indifference to the Muppets, as a child, I loved Sesame Street and Follow That Bird, I believe, is the first movie I ever saw in a theater as a child. So I had an attachment to that. But um, I think I've probably seen the Muppet movie as a kid. I mean, I think I probably saw all three of those original Muppet movies as a kid. I don't really remember much about them. But um, I did several years ago go back and watch some of the Muppet show, which I had never seen. And that was on, I think, when we were real young. 
And it wasn't something, you know, I didn't have your, like your grandfather. It wasn't something that I was shown as a kid. And I, this is, you know, pre-streaming, I got some DVD releases of it as a promotional thing. And I thought, oh, I should check this out. And I really disliked it. I think I, if I'm not mistaken, I think I might've given you, Jason, those DVDs because I was like, I don't want these anymore. You can have them. I watched like five or six episodes and I thought it was such a slog and not enjoyable at all. That's wild that you think it's a slog. If you don't like it, you don't like it. But the pace is so fast with them moving from act to act and all the backstage chaos. Like, I feel like that tone really uh, is a very speedy, fun tone for the Muppets. Yeah, I, I mean, it's been a while, obviously, but I remember feeling the opposite about it, that everything went on for so long and there were all these sort of goopy, sentimental songs that I didn't enjoy at all. And I didn't find it funny. And I mean, there's a lot of pop culture references that I think are sort of lost to time if you weren't around in that moment. But yeah, I, I and I think that sort of colored my feeling of like, well, if this is often considered their creative height, it's just not for me. Yeah. Well, hey, I'll give it to you. It's not for you. You hate fun. We all know that. I do hate fun. So mm-hmm. um, aside from the Muppets themselves, um, one, one other thing that I, I'm sort of interested in, and it's, it's, it's weird as the time that we're recording this. So there is a, a song from the Muppet Christmas Carol called When Love Is Gone that is sung by Scrooge's love interest, Belle, that is sort of about their lost love, which is a key plot element in the Scrooge story and was cut from the original theatrical release. But when this movie was released on home video, initially like on VHS, it was included. And I think because a lot of the following for this movie comes from the home video release, people, even though it's not in the original version, people got really attached to this song. And when it was not in some later releases on DVD and on Disney Plus, there was this like incredible outpouring of of like interest in getting it going. And, and they've restored it and when I think it was Brian Henson announced or one of the Muppet producers announced at like D23 this year, it was a huge deal that they had gotten this restored and they were going to put it back in the Disney Plus version. And it is available in 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 the version on Disney Plus uh, as of December 11th, 2022, which is uh, two days from now. So we didn't. What? See it. What? It's happening? <laughs> ah! Yeah. So did you, do you remember that number? Do you care about that at all? No, I don't care. Okay. Well, that's, I'm glad we went through that then. I don't know if I've ever seen it because I told you I hadn't watched Muppet Christmas Carol till recently, you know, last few years. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, people who are huge fans of it, I don't, maybe my sister is into that song or whatever. I, I, I also don't care, but I mean, um, we all, we both agree that, you know, from a song standpoint, it's not like these songs are competing with like the greatest of, no, no, the songs are not great. And that song in particular, there's a reprise of it that plays over the closing credits and, and watching it this time, I knew that. And I was listening during the credits and I thought, this is not great. I don't really need another version of this. (laughs) I'll have to agree with you on that one, Josh. It'll be interesting to see what happens next with them. I haven't really heard of anything going on with the Muppets. Yeah, I'm not sure what the next Muppet thing is, but again, it's Disney, so they're going to exploit them in some way, I'm sure. Um, Jason, we, we talked, uh, you mentioned some of what Paul Williams has done, and and we had talked about him, I think, a bit with Smokey and the Bandit. He is still alive and still the president of ASCAP, the Songwriters Association, still does some acting and voice work and is a prolific songwriter and has written some classic songs. I just don't think any of these are among them. ASCAP, your high school nickname. That was unnecessary. (laughs) I like when you do that. Josh, obviously these are 
at least in Emmett Otter's Jugman Christmas, and also, I guess, in uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, a lot of classic Muppet performers. Now there's been turnover to the new generation, but Frank Oz, you know, who's like also the voice of Yoda, right? One of the great voice actors of all time, also has directed a number of amazing movies, Little Shop of Horrors, Bowfinger, What About Bob? Last year, he directed that um, very popular documentary, Derek Del Guadio's uh, In and of Itself. Oh, man, that's a whole other topic, but I fucking hate that. So. Well, I didn't see it, but I know it's popular, but he directed that and yes. In and Out. So, I mean, look at the other movies I mentioned. Those are good movies. Oh, yeah, so. absolutely. Lots and lots of great movies. And Frank Oz, who is not involved with either the Muppets or Star Wars anymore, and I think has had some negative uh, thoughts right. about that. Right. But, but obviously a huge, huge talent. Uh, someone who did not direct a bunch of great movies going forward from this is Brian Henson, <laughs> but he did continue directing Muppet movies in the 90s. The ones that Jason, as you pointed out, are not great that I haven't seen. Um, but since and I believe he's still involved in some fashion with the Muppets, but less so with those more recent productions, um, he has made a perhaps ill-advised uh, pivot to adult puppetry and directed the film The Happy Time Murders, one of the most notoriously terrible movies of the last 10 years or so, I think, which is a very R-rated uh, puppet murder mystery thing starring Melissa McCarthy and a bunch of horny puppets who, and lots of fake puppet violence and blood and semen and is very bad. I Have you seen that, Jason? No, but I remember when you watched it, you said like, where are the jokes? Where is the yeah. humor, right? And that's literally what I'm saying about the <laughs> movies he's directed, in the, you know, with the Muppets here in the 90s. Yeah. The other uh, adult puppet project that Brian Henson was involved with is a stage show called Puppet Up, which actually was uh, briefly on stage here in Las Vegas. I never saw it. Did you ever see that one, Jason? I didn't, but it's definitely I feel like I, that sounds familiar, you know? Yeah, it was it was fairly short lived, but I think it was one of these things where it had a big launch and it was like, oh, Brian Henson from the Muppets. And he's doing this like naughty puppet show here at like the Venetian or something. And then it closed very quickly. Well, yeah, because we had already had Avenue Q, right? That's the one that people love. Right. And I think Avenue Q is maybe I wonder if Brian Henson saw Avenue Q and thought, why didn't I do that? I need to right. capitalize on yeah. that and make some naughty puppets. Yes, I agree. Um, so Michael Caine, I mean, he's a titan of acting, still working steadily at age 89. He's been nominated for six Oscars. He won for Hannah and her sisters and for the Cider House Rules. What do we want to say about Michael Caine? Good morning, you kings of New England, you princes of, I don't remain, princes of Maine, good, was that it? Yeah, good morning. I think good night, not good morning. Good night, you kings of New England, you princes of Maine, yeah. Look, he's one of the all-time greats. Um, on Inside the Actors Studio uh, with James Lipton, uh, I, he gave this awesome piece of acting advice um, where he was in a play and he was just like a bartender, right? And... Um, you know, the he wasn't speaking in the scene, right? So, you know, the two the two actors are rehearsing and the director calls cut and he um he goes, you know, Michael, what are you doing? He's like, nothing. He's like, Well, why are you doing nothing? He's like, Well, I have nothing to do in this scene. He's like, No, you have nothing to say in this scene. You want to say everything. You want to do this, you want to do that, but you're not. You're just observing. So, like just those little tidbits of like always be active for some reason how do you hold that back like how do you play drunk without looking like you're playing drunk like he's 
he's a legend, right? He's got that book, I think, with all those acting techniques um, that kind of goes over stuff like that as well. Right. No, he is a total legend. And, and you know, as we said, I think that is what makes this movie work is that he is giving it the full weight of his incredible acting talent. Yeah, Josh, Michael Caine, you know, we keep coming up to these actors uh, on this show who this is their job and their craft and maybe they don't always make the best movies but they always want to be working right um and i think that comes from maybe just a different generation of like hey i got to make sure there's food on the table or this is the work ethic i was brought up in and i'm sure i think he said like yeah i wish every movie was as good as whatever dirty rotten scoundrels or you know batman uh, the nolan one or whatever but you got to work you got to make those movies to get those movies Right. Of course, he has that famous quote about having appeared in, you know, Jaws, the revenge saying that I haven't seen the movie and I heard it was terrible, but I've seen the house it paid for and it's beautiful or something like that. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's one all what all like an all time famous quote, which I'm sure I'm not quite getting exactly right. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's not like he appeared in Jaws, the revenge because he thought it would be brilliant, but he's always working and it was a job. And and I've, I've actually seen that. I can't remember all the details of it, but I'm sure he gives it as much effort being in this terrible shark movie as he does being in a Muppet movie. And he's Michael Caine, no matter where he is. And I think Josh, like guys, I uh, had mentioned to you, like that kind of fifties and I don't think he was working. Yeah. He was working in the fifties, fifties and sixties, like British cinema. That's a real kind of um, like blind spot for my film knowledge. And it'd be interesting to go back. Cause I know that's when he was, you know, really kind of putting those roots down. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen as many early Michael Caine performances as more recent because he's just constantly working even, yeah. even now. Yeah. Um, so I think the last legacy thing that I wanted to talk about is like a Christmas Carol as this often adapted thing. I mean, certainly even by 1992, it had been made into movies multiple times. And there's always like sitcom episodes where it's like the protagonist of the sitcom gets visited by three ghosts or something and they fit characters into this story. Um, and it continues to be incredibly popular. I mean, just this Christmas season, as we're recording this, there's a new animated version of A Christmas Carol on Netflix with a whole bunch of famous people doing the voices. And uh, I unfortunately recently watched A Christmas Karen, the uh, mm. indie <laughs> film comedy that that uses the the Christmas Carol story and uh, gets the whole meme of a Karen into it. So, uh, do you have a favorite version of a Christmas Carol, Jason? No. Okay, you're not a fan of that. Um, I, no, I'm, I'm indifferent to it. I, I I I don't. I guess yours is that 1951. Movie. Yeah, that is a great. And I feel like if you're indifferent to the story, like that's just a good movie. And if you yeah. think this story is like there's nothing to this story. That performance from Alastair Sim and the way that it's presented in that movie will show you that there is some real emotion to be found in the story of Scrooge. Yeah. All right. Well, good. I would I would be open to checking that out. I'm always mm -hmm. looking for new Christmas movies. Yes. So from uh, 1951. From 1951, Jason's favorite year <laughs> in, the, in cinema history. Yeah. Um, is there anything else on the legacy of these that you want to mention, Jason? No, I mean, the Muppets have such a canon, right? Like it's. It, you know, look, I, if you disagree with us, that's totally fine. But I think it's worth exploring and seeing like what you gravitate to as a as a fan. Or if you're like Josh and none of it works for you, then I'll take your DVDs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, I did want to say that um, the you know, these are both become perennial favorites. They're both available to stream. And Emma Daughter actually did finally get a, a theatrical release in 2018. 
So was able to to be seen on the, on the big screen there in a special release back then. That that's cool. Russell and Lillian Hoban, the authors and illustrator, prolific authors. Josh, the Mouse and His Child, Ridley Walker, Bedtime for Francis, Arthur the Chimpanzee. They have so many books published. Like it, you couldn't even keep count. Really, I don't think. Yeah, but if you did, maybe you would say one book. Ah, 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 ah. All right. Uh, he brought it into Sesame Street. Follow that bird, Josh. Yeah, I loved bird. it when I was four or whatever, whenever that was. I don't know. So that is the Muppet Christmas movies. And that is this special holiday episode of Awesome Movie Year. Wish us Merry Christmas online and on social media. Yeah, or if you're Brandy, tell us to fuck off on social media. Because also we a just, wonderful holiday sentiment. <laughs> yeah, we just trashed them up at Christmas Carol, which fuck off or not is still awful. Uh, we're at awesomemovieyear.com, awesome movie year on Facebook and Instagram, awesome movie pod on Twitter. I'm Jason Harris Comedy or Jay Harris Comedy on all the socials, and of course you could find my website. Go for Jason somewhere at the bottom bottom of a. Uh, broken down set from the Muppet Christmas Carol not being used nearly to its fullest effect anymore. But, uh, you know, movie party, this comedy, those are things. Yeah. Um, you can find me at Josh Bell. It's everything.com where I did once write about the Muppet Christmas Carol. If you want to read that. And uh, that's uh, nothing recent though on there. <laughs> Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook at Signal Bleed on Twitter and at Signal Bleed on Letterboxd. And check out our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at Piecing Pod. And look out next year for my album, The Pup Pups, which uh, must be somewhat inspired by Emmett Otter's uh, band and songs, even though I don't think I've ever actually seen them. But it seems in the same spirit. What uh? What, if the Muppets were going to do a Hanukkah movie, who would you base that around? Is there a Jewish Muppet? That's what I'm saying. Who would be the Jewish Muppet? <laughs> I mean, it would have to be Sandler, right? Well, no, <laughs> he's, not, he's not a Muppet. That's a real human being, Dave. I don't. <laughs> I mean, understand. oh, I thought you meant you'd be turning one into a Muppet. Yeah. Oh, no, okay. I mean you build a family with Statler and Waldorf, who are obviously two old Jews. Jewish <laughs> va va uh, vaudevillian comedians, right? You know, yeah. Fozzie, Fozzie, I think could. Uh, be Jewish. Gonzo is is definitely eccentric, like many uh, of our kind, Josh. So I think mm. uh, we can start working on this uh, yeah. Hanukkah from the Muppets. Get get started on that. <laughs> so thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year, and God bless us, everyone. Muppet! Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.